Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Life and Limb podcast. My name is Chuck Anderson. This is episode 14 of the show. Thank you very much for joining me. Appreciate having you here. The music at the beginning of the show, as always, is the song Life and Limb by Fugazi. And if this is your first time joining me, uh, that song is the song title that inspired the name of the show. And then I reached out to Fugazi and Ian Mackay to see if uh, they'd let me use it, and they did. So the rest is history. It's always awesome to hear that in the beginning every time I record one of these. Um, quick note, uh, episode 15 is already scheduled. I'm going to be joined by Jake Nickel of Threadless. So I'm really looking forward to that and hope you will too. That's going to be really fun to talk with Jake and catch up with him and uh, talk all things Threadless and t-shirts. So uh, yeah, but today for episode 14, I am joined by designer Justin Thomas K. And uh, Justin is from Milwaukee originally and uh, currently in New York. And he's just a really fantastic designer. I can't say enough good things about him. Uh, he uh, left Milwaukee for New York to uh, go work at Complex Magazine back in 2004. And uh, from then until, uh, I, don't, I don't know exact timeline, but I uh, worked at a bunch of different magazines over the years. So he was at Complex, Mass Appeal, uh, The Fader, New York Magazine, a bunch of different ones, kind of bounced around all over the place. Uh, making a lot of friends and getting a lot of experience uh, over the course of that time and really kind of fell in love with editorial design and layout and and um, graphic design and type and uh, eventually made his way to Doubleday and Cartwright, which is where he is now. And Doubleday and Cartwright's a really awesome studio in New York, uh, maybe about 20 or so people there. And they just do really fantastic, really excellent work. Can't say uh, enough good things about them either. So DoubledayandCartwright.com, check their work out, familiarize yourself uh, with them and uh, what Justin does for them um, before the interview here or while uh, you listen, just so that you can have an idea of what it is that Justin's all about, what he does in case you're not already uh, familiar with it. So uh, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, Justin, all sorts of other passions and hobbies as well. Uh, he was in a band called Since by Man um, in early 2000s, and they had a lot of success and toured. Um, it's a really great band. I actually saw them in Chicago when I was in high school, and it connected the dots later on that Justin was in the band. Um, and uh, now sort of one of Justin's biggest passions is, is health and exercise and eating well. And he's a really good voice for that. And uh, it's just really has been a huge part of his life and has had an incredibly positive impact on his life, just generally keeping up with exercise and eating right and keeping himself healthy and smart with that. And uh, so he, uh, him and I talk a little bit about that and as it kind of relates back to uh, being a professional and designing and kind of what it does to your brain, just keeping yourself fit and everything. It was a really good conversation. Really enjoyed talking with him. Uh, it was a lot of fun. So anyways, uh, visit the website, lifeandlimb.com. You can follow along Twitter at Life and Limb. And I think that'll about do it. So again, like I said, next episode, Jake Nickel, Threadless. And, uh, but for now, please enjoy my conversation with Justin Thomas K here on Life and Limb. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I am joined today by Justin Thomas K. Justin, what's going on? Not much, man. How are you doing? Doing really well. Uh, what's going on uh, in New York? How has your day been? What's, uh, what's going on today? Um, well, not to be that guy and talk about the weather, but uh, <laughs> the, okay. the most exciting part of the news is the fact that uh, the hellish winter is maybe behind us. I'm not entirely certain if that's true at this point, but, you know, fingers crossed. We'll see what happens. Has it, um, has it been pretty 
pretty nice out there. I mean, it's yeah. hard not to talk about that, man, because it affects so much. And, and, and I mean, the other day it was absolutely gorgeous here on Easter. Actually, on Easter Sunday, it was pretty much perfect here in Chicago. And I just ate it all up and I sat outside and just looked towards the sky with my sunglasses yeah, I mean, on and just didn't think about anything. It was perfect. Yeah, it's been, it's been pretty great. I mean, you know, I, I mean, all my, all my family back in Wisconsin is, is still, I, I think, dealing with some things. I have a friend actually that I went to school with that um, he just posted on Facebook the other day that they got uh, 16 inches of snow last week. So where I guess it's, uh, this is like Northern Wisconsin, um, oh, almost up to superior. So Dude, and I guess we're not like totally out of it, but I mean, you know, knock on wood. Yeah. I don't think that's, uh, that's coming back again. So, um, yeah, all good there, man. Yeah. Um, well, that's awesome. Uh, I'm on the same page with you and I'm <laughs> just enjoying that there's like even some sunlight kind of late yeah. and just, yeah, it changes everything. And after, especially the winter we've just had, I mean, I've honestly, I think every episode I've done so far, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was kicked off like, how are you? <laughs> yeah. And everyone's like, I know, I don't want to, you know, or yeah, I don't want to talk, we don't have to talk about the weather, but, and it's like, no, I, I feel you like it's, talk about the weather. Let's, yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's finally coming around. Um, are you more like, do you, do you work well and like enjoy the summer and like embrace everything about it? I mean, I feel like those of us who opt to live basically anywhere that's not a tropical climate, either you just put up with it or you're like, no, yeah. I'm all about winter. Like how, do, how, how conducive is it for, for your life? I mean, you know, I, I guess I would say I, I used to be a little more appreciative of it before I got a dog, but I, uh, after getting a dog a little over a year ago, I, definitely hate it and I could do without it and I will gladly use the dog as an excuse to move to Los Angeles. The, so it wasn't like getting a dog was like man having a dog just really opens up the possibilities of winter. It's like no like I hate having to take this dog out. Yeah definitely definitely. She also doesn't sleep in at all. So What kind of dog get, is it? Uh, it's a mini Australian Shepherd. Okay. Uh, oh, very intelligent dog very uh very indignant and and uh, loves to get up at about six six thirty in the morning. <laughs> what's uh, what's her name? Her name is Osa. Nice, I like that. All right, so I want to start uh, from the beginning for you. I guess um, you were born and raised in Milwaukee. Uh, yes. Is that were you born and raised in Milwaukee, or is that like when I say I grew up in Chicago, and they're like, "Where'd you grow up?" And I'm like, "Okay, so." Here's the deal. It's a suburb. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Is yeah. Is it similar? I mean, it's similar. My parents at the time did live um, in Milwaukee, uh, and I but I was born in uh, it's like a just outlying uh, sprawly suburb, um, and uh, or I guess that's where they lived. But I was born in the city of Milwaukee, so it's nice that I can actually yeah. live within the limits. Um, but really, most of my growing up I did was in. Uh, out in Waukesha, Wisconsin, okay. mm -hmm. um, and in New Berlin. So I say Milwaukee because every time I say New Berlin, I mean, there's like nobody that knows yeah. where that is, obviously, so I'm not about to talk about that. Right, right. Um, yeah, born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Most of my friends that I have are still from there or based on connections I made in Milwaukee, though, so the, the hometown connection is still pretty strong. Cool. So what was life like uh, Milwaukee as it relates to, you know, so, I mean, now your job title or whatever you want to say um, yeah. as a as a designer, um, I mean, did you grow up 
as an artist, as a, I mean, did you like art and design and creativity, you know, growing up? Was your, was your life sort of always headed down a path where you thought, you know, and your family thought you might end up where you are today? Or, I mean, what was growing up like uh, for you in that way? Well, I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, I feel like everyone who I, I ends up doing something creative for a living probably has the same starting point where they're like, oh, I drew a lot when I was younger or like, you know, oh, my, you know, my grandmother really like loved the crayon drawings I made when I was in kindergarten or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's necessarily like an aid to be there into right. being a professional creative person. But um, I mean, for me growing up, I guess my my family was always it was more like Midwest crafty stuff, uh-huh. um, you know, on a definitely like on a pretty inspired level, though, like I was always around it a lot. Um and my my father was really into like making illustrations and drawings. He never did it for a living, but he was always drawing. And then like my mom was just like always, um, you know, she was just they were just like of creative minds. So it was a it was a case where when I got older, I don't think it was like a, a total surprise that I got into it. Um, and I think if anything, my route of getting into the specific realm of design that I got into, um, specifically starting out working mainly in editorial design. Yeah. When I, when I moved out to New York, that's definitely a direct result of growing up with a large majority of my family and my family friends working for, um, quad graphics, who is, uh, the, I mean, I don't know if they hold that title still to this day, but they are, are or were the largest printer of magazines in the world. Oh, no kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, basically they, they have the contract to print and do all the pre-press for um, Cotton and Ast. And oh, wow. okay. I mean, tons of other magazine companies. So all growing up, my mom was like a magazine rep and uh, worked for all different magazines. And like then, you know, she had friends that worked at Quad Graphics as well. And then their accounts were... You know, like whatever. I mean, it was fun because I'd go to work and one of my mom's friends, her, his account was Mad Magazine. So <laughs> while growing up, I just had like stacks and stacks and piles of every issue of Mad Magazine. And like my mom, like, I mean, I was just always, always surrounded by magazines. And sure. I think when I uh, when I realized I wanted to be a graphic designer, I was like, well, I guess I should learn how to do layout and make a magazine. It was yeah. like a very like nonchalant kind of thing. Cause I, it was the only thing I was really surrounded by. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, it's somewhat serendipitous that you would end up in magazines uh, like uh, when you, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, like, of cor- yeah. like, of course you would end up uh, having done editorial and working with so many magazines. Cause that's sort of something that you were surrounded by, whether you were aware of that when you were younger to the extent that it would maybe affect you someday or not. Um, but yeah, it's, I always find that interesting though. Um, because, you know, again, whenever I ask that question with people, it's always like, there was like, you, you kind of described like there's uh, the realm of creativity within your family, not that like parents or whoever were actually in that profession, but Mm -hmm. they kind of had, you know, it's cut from the same cloth, you know, and they, they, one of them drew or something. You took an interest in that. Um, and uh, one of these days, though, I'm going to ask, and I'm going to get like a super interesting, like, no, I didn't want to do this at all. My dad was a <laughs> carpenter, and my mom was yeah. this, and I didn't care <laughs> about art or whatever. Um, but uh, so, okay, but so you uh, grew up uh, in Milwaukee, and eventually, uh, you uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you go to Milwaukee Institute of Art for yep. school? Okay. Yep. Um, and uh, how was that experience like? I mean, did uh, would you look back and think like, 
college was worth it. School was worth it. I'm waiting to get someone to push back on me for not having gone so that we can have like a nice, uh, friendly debate about the merits of school. Cause I'm always interested in, the that yeah. point. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I think that might take you a little bit to find that person because I feel like we're the generation that yeah. all like took college as a, as a, as a need yep. as like, a, as you know, it was like a given like, Oh, you're going to go to college. Like regardless. Right. Um, I, I mean, without getting political, I don't really foresee that happening, um, for any generation after us. I think, you know, for all of our children and, and upcoming generations, I mean, I can't speak for everyone. I know that I'm definitely not really going to assume that that's something that needs to happen. I think college was a great experience, um, for me. Uh, and staying in Milwaukee for me was important. I mean, it was important on multiple levels. Like one, I just wasn't ready to leave. And I kind of trusted my gut on that one. I was like, yeah, I don't really want to leave Milwaukee partly because I was playing music at the time. Right. Um, and I had just started kind of like meeting more people and really wanted to like, you know, continue to just do the music thing in Milwaukee for a little bit. And then, you know, I, I had, I had some friends that were going to the Milwaukee institutes and, and it was a, it was a really great environment there. And I met a lot of awesome people. Um, and I had a teacher that, uh, Dale Scheidler that introduced me to, you know, her blue Ballon at one point because I had transferred from being an illustrator into a graphic designer. So, I mean, you know, needless to say, especially in terms of kind of like my early career as a graphic designer, drawing a, a pretty heavy influence from her, um, I, I owe a lot to Dale for that, that intro. Um, and just in general, like, uh, I mean, everyone, everyone has something that they can say about their art school education, because I feel like art school is a very tricky thing. Um, but for me, it served a great purpose. I was super focused, like after, after kind of fumbling around, like I said before, as an illustration major, mm -hmm. it ended up taking me about six and a half years to get through school because I was pretty far along as an illustrator than actually switched schools and was maybe going to go into art ed. And then while I was kind of floundering around there, I really kind of like accidentally backed into graphic design, but that's mainly because even though my parents worked in printing, I had no idea what graphic design was. Right. I, made, I mean, I guess yeah. everyone has that same story, but honestly, like graphic design really makes absolutely no sense unless you do it. And mm -hmm. I mean, maybe that's less the case now just with how, like much the technology is around. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, even as an, uh, as someone who was an illustrator, when I started a pretty bad one, um, I, I would try to work digitally with my art. And I mean, it was a mess. Like my, I'm thank God I am not an illustrator because that was just <laughs> not a great idea. Do you, do you um, find that that's because you work better within the confines of kind of what constitutes design and graphic design and you yeah, kind of like the structure of that? hundred percent, but I just had no idea what it was. So all sure. of a sudden after a while, I had a, I had a teacher that saw that I was, I, cause I was constantly also trying to figure out how to shoehorn typography into my illustrations. Uh, okay. Like for like in a very like nonsensical sort of way. And, and she was like, clearly there's something you're responding to there. You need to give this a try. And I was like, yeah, all right. Like that makes sense. And then, I, you know, and then I just gravitated towards layout, I suppose. But, you know, again, going back to the music thing, I think that's, you know, I, w I will say, you know, again, 
thank God my, my, my schooling developed into a career because I really think that a big reason why I ended up staying in Milwaukee was because of, you know, playing music and specifically hardcore punk, which was not going to, that was not going to become a career. You're creating my, uh, you're per, you're person, you're like uh, perfectly segueing into my next uh, set of questions (laughs) here. So on that note, let's, uh, let's talk about that for a second because, um, you know, I I don't know if you played in um, some other bands, um, but I know the the bread and butter for you at one point for the for playing in a band was uh, with your band at the time, Since by Man. Um, yeah. And at one point, I don't know when this was, a couple of years ago, when I like kind of connected the dots that you were in Since by Man, it kind of blew my mind because I knew you as like. I don't know when we first talked, like if it was when you were at Complex years ago or or at what point it was. But all I knew was that once I sort of connected the dots that you were this, I I knew you as this like designer guy. And then it was like, wait, he, I saw Since My Man in Chicago years ago. Now I'm not sure. We might've talked about this, but who were you touring with? Was it Dillinger Escape Plan? Was it, who was it that I would have seen you with there? I feel like it was. There, I mean, the thing, I mean, obviously there were, there were some fireside shows in there. Like yeah. if we're going back to, if we're going back to Chicago days, I mean, we played with, we played with, uh, oh, oh it's so nice to talk to somebody who, uh, can talk about the fireside, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, we, yeah, I mean, weirdly, I will say we didn't, we did we didn't play a ton of shows, uh, in, in Chicago. We played I think with, this like, was we at played the Metro. John Brown battery at the fireside once we okay. played with, um, I can't remember if no, we didn't play with ISIS there. We played with ISIS in Milwaukee, but we we would play. Um, oh God, I am totally forgetting the name of the suburb. But there were a few suburbs that we would actually play in a lot, and there was one that had this huge skate park that we played a fest at a few times. Was that Schaumburg? Was that yeah, uh, Schaumburg? Yeah, you're up in the north suburbs with Schaumburg, and yeah, 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 there were definitely some like some of the northern suburbs we played at more than a few times. Play um, like the Arlington Heights Knights of Columbus, and stuff <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, all that stuff. I mean, that also gets very hazy because I used to drive to Chicago all the time to go see shows while I was younger. So, uh, since I'm talk about since my man, yeah. you play guitar, um, yeah. and now I think. Um, again, it's just crazy because, you know, before knowing you as the designer, I would have seen you play and you play guitar and I had, um, the album, uh, we, what was it? Uh, yeah, we sing, we sing the body electric. Yeah. And so I was just looking up a little bit before we started, uh, started recording this interview and it didn't hit me until then, but that Kurt Blau actually produced that album yeah. from, from Kurt Blau of Converge yeah. and Death, Death Wish and, um, which, so how was that experience? I mean, that's a pretty, uh, I mean, you weren't just in some like some sort of side act <laughs> band. I mean, you guys were legit yeah. for that. I mean, the 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 whole story of actually like how how we sing the body electric came about and us signing to Revelation is actually it's kind of like the perfect way to sort of round up. I feel like where like like I mean, not to get all like posy while I'm talking about hardcore here, but. Uh, like a lot of the good things that have happened in my life were a direct result of just like making awesome friendships. And then those amazing people being super supportive and like trusting that their friends are going to do great things if they give them a chance to. Uh And, you know, like revelation was a case where we, like we always had great shows in Southern California. Um, and we played at the Coos cafe a bunch. We ended up playing the last show at the Coos cafe with, um, our friends and kill the slave master, a uh, great Chicago slash Milwaukee band. Um, 
And in playing a bunch of amazing shows out in California, we ended up meeting um, a girl by the name of Gazal, who I gave demos of what became We Sing the Body Electric. That was pre-Kurt Bellew uh, contact or anything. And um, one time when we were on tour out west in California, a couple of rev people came out and asked and, you know, kind of made the formal offer uh, to put us onto their label, which was, I mean, which was amazing. Obviously growing up in hardcore, being on Revelation is a dream. Like whether or not like, you know, Judge is still around right now putting out records like the, the, the support and all of the people that worked for Rev uh, and continue to work for Rev, Jordan, Vic, everyone, um, amazing people. Um, they have like a really intense belief in, in the music that they put out in the history of the label. It was, it was just, a, it was a really great experience. And also being in a band where they're like, Oh, you have X amount of dollars to record something that doesn't sound like hot garbage. Um, <laughs> It was it was a no brainer, I you know, to hit up Kurt first and foremost, and it was it was a little tough to wrangle the schedule. And after a certain amount of begging, he uh, he agreed to record the album. I mean, it was an incredible experience, and I think that you know, for me, just as like a creative individual and a and a person who has to like uh, learn how to edit your own work, whether it's music or it's a, or it's design or it's illustration, whatever it is, it's like, he is the consummate editor yeah. and had such a, he, he had this like really harsh ability to, to make definitive calls of what he thought worked, what he thought didn't work. Um, but was also very, I mean, we, we, when we, when we made the agreement to make the album with him, he uh, asked if we wanted a producer or if we just wanted someone to hit the record button. Right. Yeah. And um, I mean, obviously we wanted him to produce because he, I mean, that's like, you know, he's a smart dude and he knows how to write great music. So obviously we would listen to him and being able to work with him and have his outside opinion on how to make our songs better. And um, I mean, the whole process was incredible. I mean, obviously just like, being able to make music with one of my heroes was a huge moment for yeah, me. Yeah, and now um, I was you know gonna I mean? say, just to totally like fan out there for a second, it's like you know, I mean, he is and was a huge, you know, inspiration. Right, and I was gonna say, so for anybody who's listening who isn't familiar uh, with, now I said like a real dumbass a few minutes ago, Bilal, but you know, whatever. <laughs> Whoever, any, if anybody's not familiar with Kerpalu and his music or familiar with Converge. I mean, this would be the like hardcore slash metal fans equivalent, you know, of if you were like sort of this aspiring hip hop artist of having Pharrell hit you up right now and be like, Hey, I want to produce for you. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Just like to give some context. I mean, it's certainly someone who's looked at as an icon, as a purveyor of excellence in this type of music and making sure that you're, if you're going to put out loud, chaotic, heavy records that they sound like really good, loud, heavy records. And he is someone who I think, as you said, everyone would love to work with and wouldn't bat an eye at being asked, do you want a producer or someone to hit the record button? You're like, no, of course we want your, we want your mind like yeah. in this with us. So, I mean, certainly again, because I, I feel like maybe not everybody knows 
who he is. And it would totally, definitely be totally. a big, big deal for uh, being someone like yourself and the guys that were in your band to yeah. link up with him to record with. And that's just a pretty awesome thing. So, um, yeah, it's amazing. So quick question though, just, uh, like a sort of off the cuff, like question, but, uh, in terms of when you guys toured, um, what were some of your favorite cities that you hit, uh, on your tour and, and how far did you guys like, you know, what, what was the tour sort of, uh, um, roadmap like did you, you get out of the country a lot well we uh well since by man well i was in since by man we were supposed to leave the country once and due to just like a few mitigating circumstances some like band member drama we ended up having to actually bail the day before we were supposed to get on the plane Ugh. which was obviously totally infuriating yeah. um but other than i mean other than that it was an amazing way to see all of the lower 48. Like, I mean, we, if, if we didn't play in every state, we drove through everything. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it was a great way for me as like a young person to literally see all of America. Yeah. Um, How old were you when you were in the band? Started when I was uh, 19. Okay. 18, 18, 19. Yeah, that's incredible. Talk about like a great way to see, you know, see the world or yeah. you know, the country as it were. But Yeah, totally. I mean, actually, our first weekend trip was Grand Rapids, Michigan. Oh, really? Okay. Yep. Nice. <laughs> yep. Where did yep. you yep. play there? Um, we played... If you can recall. I should really know that. Would it be um, like... Uh, we played... A, there, was a, there was a coffee shop at the time. It was super random. I, I don't think they do shows there very much, but it was also the fir- one of the first weekend trips that Seven Angels, Seven Plagues did at the time. <laughs> and we did that together. Um, it was an awesome show. It was, that, was, that, was, that was a lot of fun. That Was it the early... We're, we're, we should uh, shelf the uh, two, getting yeah. too deep into like obscure like early 2000s <laughs> yeah, metal, but yeah, I saw exactly. Seven Angels, Seven Plagues play with... like The first, the first like, iteration of the band play with uh, like the first version... Oh, you there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, with the first uh, lineup of Hope's Fall. Yeah. Um, and uh, just like in this tiny little basement of some bar and i still remember to this day like the craziness that was that show i wouldn't be surprised yeah. if you guys had played too but yeah like just the energy from that time is was totally. pretty awesome definitely um, definitely so um all right so let's talk about your transition then from uh, kind of when you wrapped up with music and you guys finished up kind of like the the, the end of your time in the band was what like 2003 four around there it was yeah that was 2004 i um I, I, well, no, actually I take that back. I stopped playing with Since My Man in 2003. Um, and that was mainly because at that point, um, the band was touring enough and, uh, it, like, it became pretty clear that I was going to end up holding those guys back from trying to, you know, just play as much music as they could and tour as much as, as they wanted to, because all the tours had to be based around my school schedule. And at that time it also became, it became obvious to me that I really wanted to move to New York city and, uh, be a graphic designer, uh, specifically, you know, trying to work in magazines because, you know, this is the home of media in general, um, as far as America is concerned, I mean, not to like overplay the importance of New York, but even businesses and media that aren't, um, that don't have their headquarters here, they have a pretty hard station here. And then especially when you're talking about print media, um, you know, aside from state or city run forms of print media, uh, I mean, New York is where it's at. It's like all the magazines that I read and wanted to work for growing up, um, they're all based here. Um, so 
Yeah, I moved out here 2004, uh, right after graduating. Um, my buddy Steve Green, who I did up north with right after I moved out here, um, which was like a short-lived um, design collaboration um, between me and my best friend that I had from when I was going to school back in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Um, he got me a job and actually my first job in New York city was not in magazines. Um, but it was, uh, I, I don't really count it because it was basically two months working for a kid's clothing license where I was actually, <laughs> I was taking down graphics from and one basketball's men's line and reformatting them and resizing them uh, for kids t-shirts. Oh, nice. <laughs> so it, that, so, it, you, so it, you're there for like two months before you got out. Is that, yeah, it sucked. Okay. It, it sucked. <laughs> So your first uh, quote unquote real uh, gig was uh, going from there to complex or was there something yeah. between there? Okay. No, that was all, that was all complex. I mean, there was like little like bits of freelancing, but it was more just kind of like floundering and floating around trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. And then um, actually one of the partners at Doubleday, uh, Kimu Meyer, AKA Grotesque, um, he had worked for Echo for a long time and uh, he got me my job at complex because there was an opening and he got in touch with the guys over there and said, Hey, I got, you know, a friend who just moved out here from Wisconsin obsessed with magazines. And, um, I ended up linking up with those guys. Uh, and that was, I mean, I think that of all of my jobs that I've had was probably like the biggest eye opening experience for me. Sure. Just a, finally, I mean, it was, that was, that was a huge experience for me. Eye opening in, uh, in like a good way there, like, this is what I want to do. Eye opening yeah. in like the challenging sort of like, Oh shit. Like this is also yeah. really hard work. I mean, just all that stuff. It was all of the above, you know, because really, even, even if you understand how to use InDesign or you understand, um, I mean, even for me now, like, I mean, I've been working, you know, in InDesign primarily, you know, I would say upwards of like 90% of the time I do graphic design is in InDesign. Uh-huh. And there's always, always, always a way to learn how to be faster or better. Or th- I mean, I guess it's like any program, you know, yeah. but it, but it's like, but it, for me, the the biggest thing there was like, you know, even just stepping away from thinking about it as a program was like learning how to like intuitively think about typography sitting on the page. Sure. Um, and learning how to just like work with like the formalities of print design and layout and, 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 and micro typography and all like all the things that teachers teach you when you're in college about like, oh, like we're going to do the editorial assignment. And then you like sort of learn how to do a page layout, but you don't really understand how it works. So I mean, the, the guys that I work with were great. Like they really gave me a forum to kind of like play around and experiment. And I mean, God, I, some of those, some of those old layouts I did were just like awful. Just not, <laughs> no apologies necessary for 10 year old work. But, but I mean, but, it, but it's funny because looking back on it now, it was so necessary for me to go through the exercise of some of those things to understand how to, how to just work with typography. And, you know, I mean, even stepping away from that, into like the illustrated typography that I, I I don't do so much these days. Um, but I got so obsessed with this idea of trying to like bend and play with type at the time. Um, and that was, you know, 2005, 2006 or so. It was like, you know, like a year, year and a half out of school. And I finally had this forum to, to like play with it and then actually see it printed and get distributed. So it was eye opening. I mean, you know, just in terms of like the rigidity, rigid, how would you say that? Rigidity. Guess, rigidity of having to figure out how to make a page layout happen. Yeah. But then also like eye opening in the, in the way of like, wow, like I just, you know, 
horsed around with this like title treatment for a Jessica Alba story. And now there's, you know, a hundred thousand copies right, of this yeah. thing circulated it's, all over New York city. And then it makes it very, very cool. real. I think for a designer's first time to go out and see your work in the wild and think like, Hey, I literally was working on this two weeks ago and I was, you know, pulling my hair out till two in the morning. And then like, but it's all good because here it is and it's a final yeah. product and it's like, yeah. this is what it is. And, totally. and you learn from that one and move on to the next one. Um, and so, so how long were you at complex? I was there for about a year and a half, two years. Um, cause you've been, I mean, when you, so first off, I just want to mention really quick when you go to your website, um, which is great just pretty much because it's sort of like a, just a summation of like <laughs> what you've done. And it doesn't seem like you're as interested in showing off your, personal body of work as much as you are kind of directing people to um, the Doubleday site, which we'll get to in a little bit, which is the yep. um, where you work now. Um, but you kind of get this full breakdown of your sort of like uh, career. It's like a, it's like a, a prettier LinkedIn sort of like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. but, you, so, but you've bounced around because I mean, complex for and a half and then was it helicopter yeah, for a little yeah. bit? And then yeah, massive. I mean, and, and there were like stints of freelancing, honestly, right. kind of, you know, interspersed in there. I mean, one of the things about magazines in particular in New York City is that people move very fast. I've noticed that. Um, yeah. And and yeah, I mean, I'm sure anyone who's worked as like a designer or illustrator that does, you know, kind of like contract work for these magazines. It's not an uncommon thing for like someone to get hired and then you like do a piece for them. And then, you know, you go back to reach out maybe five months later and be like, oh, hey, like, you know, just want to check in again. Maybe you got some more work. I had a good time working with you, blah, blah, blah. Just like some promo and they're gone already. Yeah. Uh, they've done and they have like, a, you know, a, like a better position at a different magazine. I, I, mean, I went, I sent those emails to many people over the years at Complex because like I worked, <laughs> I worked with Complex, I think for the first time in like 2004. And then I don't remember if it was like who it was with at the time, but, um, and then like two years later, someone else. And then I reached back to them a year later and I got some response from someone else. And then the same, <laughs> but the same things happened and other magazines too. I've yeah. noticed like, oh, they're not there anymore. Wait, why am I seeing their name attached to yeah. this other thing? Is it sort of like once you're in that door, like if your work's good enough, as soon as an opening happens somewhere else, like people, it's sort of like a, you know, a revolving door of different yeah. experiences until you finally find the one that fits or. Well, the difficulty in magazines, to be honest, is that it once, once you, once you dig in and you, and you build the system, um, it's, it's very repetitive work. Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, there, there are some people who are like, you know, they, they have their, they have their long tenures at certain magazines and they, they kind of like stand their ground and they do some amazing things. Um, but I would say for about like 90 to 95% of magazine staff, um, you know, you're really, it's, it's generally like a one to two year thing, or that's how it tends to sort itself out. Um, and it's, it's just, it's a really, really fast paced, industry in that way. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there are some people that I've worked for, um, like, you know, Chris Dixon, who I worked for at New York magazine. Um, and, uh, I mean, you know, like there, there are some people on that level who they end up really like standing their ground and, and they make like a long standing mark on the magazines that they work for. Um, but you know, yeah, the majority of, of magazine employees, they really just kind of like bounce around. That's just really how that industry works. And sure. all, I mean, a lot of my friends were either in more like formal design studios or worked in fashion. And they were always like, <laughs> they were always like, what are you doing? Like, I can't keep up. Like you have another new job. And, I, and it was funny, like I was trying to explain to them, like, 
yeah, you know, maybe I do move around faster than others, but also that's just, that's a magazine. Sure. So you think it's a mix of a, like the magazine world's nature and then also maybe your own nature where you're like, Hey, I'm ready to go on to something else now. Because I'm sure there's some people who, despite the magazine world's sort of, uh, tendency to do that, they just, they're like, no, I'm carving out my place here and this is where I'm at for a while. But someone else. Yeah, it goes both ways. I think that, that for a while, you know, earlier on in my career, I probably should have just trusted my gut a little bit and just freelance for people rather than taking full-time positions and bouncing around constantly. I think I benefited from not, uh, not being a jerk and, and burning bridges, uh, despite how quickly I would move on from some places. And, and I think part of it is also just like dumb luck and not making bad decisions. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it took a while to really get to a place where things felt stable. Um, and I felt like I was like more comfortable with the path that I was heading down. Mm. So you were at, uh, we don't have to go into the story of each, no, each cool. one, but you were then at Mass Appeal for a little bit. Then was it? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. So it was like complex. And I spent a couple of years working at Helicopter, mm-hmm. which was just, it was an incredible uh, small design shop in the East Village in New York City, ran by Ethan Trask. And uh, Josh Liberson, who are now both um, senior VPs of creative for One King's Lane. Um, and they ran a really great, super creative little shop, both ex-editorial guys. And we did a lot of magazine redesigns. Um, almost all of them had non-disclosure agreements, so I can't really talk about them. But it was great. It was a way to like kind of be embedded with like you know Time Inc. and some of these larger publishers to really work on like some massive magazines that still to this day make use of some of the templates that we made. Mm -hmm. Um, And also a great way for me to step away from, you know, having worked at Complex on this magazine that I felt very emotionally connected to, to then working for these huge magazines that Mm -hmm. I couldn't have cared less about, Um, but then being challenged to still make them look good and read well. So that was a really great experience. And also Josh um, had like a very, like, very, very dialed in way of designing with math and InDesign and kind of like ruined me to design any other way. So now <laughs> I just design everything, basically doing math in the transform palette. Um, and yeah, moving on from there, then I did freelance for a while while I was art directing for Mass Appeal. That were, was, were you uh, doing freelance for other, for magazines or all sorts of clients? At that it was time? kind of like all over the place okay. at the time. I was dabbling a little bit in apparel. I was doing some branding work. Um, I worked with Roger Gassman on a few projects. Oh, okay, I, uh, cool. Like on some um, of his books and stuff? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I worked on, there was like the, uh, I'm going to totally flub the title. So I'm trying to look behind me onto my bookshelf, but he did a huge book on the history of graffiti and I kind of helped set up some of the templates for that. And, um, I was doing freelance stuff for Anthony over at Swindle magazine. Um, it was, that that was a cool time. That was, that was really, you know, I, I was living in a cheap apartment, had a great roommate, um, and, uh, cost of living was very mellow. I could afford to not make that much money and just make as much as I possibly could to try to, you know, whatever, just like figure out what kind of work I wanted to do because I was still torn between, you know, this, this, all the freelance work I was doing, which was a little more like illustrated typography. And then this more like formal layout work that I was working on. Um, and then from there, I actually, um, had a weird brief stint of moving back to Milwaukee. Um, 
which lasted about six months where I tried to go back and teach. Um, I was thinking about maybe starting to like starting up a small design shop there. Um, and then I just had the great misfortune of moving back to Milwaukee in the fall of 2008 when the market crashed uh. <laughs> and Milwaukee got decimated. We moved that. to Grand Rapids, Michigan when like right at the same time. And if you were living in pretty much anywhere, but especially in the Midwest, I mean, it was like, I mean, it was terrible. People, yeah. I mean, I had so many friends who were like way too talented to lose their jobs, lose yeah. jobs. And yeah. across the board, it was insane. So it was just a bad stroke of timing, I guess. Yeah, it was It was a pretty crazy feeling to just like literally like not have a way to understand how to approach people to try to make money. Yeah. Because just like no one had money. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, really after about like five or six months of trying to make Milwaukee work again, I... Uh, I had a couple of freelance offers back in New York and I was like, well, you know what, whatever, I guess I'll pack it up and go back. Um, and that ended up being for the better. Um, after, after things sorted themselves out in New York, I, that's when I ended up at New York magazine. Um, and then made my way to the fader, um, which was a magazine I had always wanted to work for. And, uh, I was creative director of the fader for about two years, which was, a uh, Totally, totally amazing experience. Yeah. Um, it was a great magazine. To, and just being able to work in print and digital and event design all at the same time, that was a really great experience for yeah, me. That's awesome. Um, yeah. got to. I also got to commission Seymour Quast to do a hand-carved woodcut of uh, Biggie Smalls, which... <laughs> Will probably be one of my uh, one of my that. crowning achievements forever. I mean, I don't really know how to how to outdo that one. <laughs> um, that was amazing. He was a great guy. Um, but no, I mean that was a that was an amazing experience for me being able to work with a a, a a magazine that actually I mean it was like music that I loved, which was a total bonus. Got to work with a bunch of friends. That was super cool. Um, and then amazing photography got to work with a, a great team that really you know had a very distinct voice in the music world so sure. it was also a case of rather than going in and, and rebranding or redesigning it was a matter of just trying to you know add my own spin on what was already a great a great thing sure um that was a very cool experience cool so what uh was the um transition uh to where you're at now, which we can kind of get into more, mm -hmm. uh, Double Day and Carrot, um, was did Fader lead straight into that, or was there any more transition, or was that pretty much kind of the cutoff before you got involved where you're at now? Yeah, that was that was directly before, um, and the transition really from Fader to Double Day, like going into the Fader, I, I I had realized I was like, okay, like I love working in media, I love like I love communicating to people through. Um, you know, whether it's like event design or print design or whatever it is, like, I just love the idea of framing things up in, in, in figuring out how to like construct a voice to communicate a message to people. And I realized when, like, before I took the job at Fader, I needed to figure out how to not only do that with magazines. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I worked at, when I got the job at Fader, I, I, I really wanted to, dip into as much as I could in terms of like, whether it was, you know, again, like an event or like a co-branded thing, or even like some of like the ad campaigns or whatever it was that we were involved in. I knew I wanted to just kind of like expand my breadth beyond just making a magazine. Uh -huh. um, and then as time went on a couple of years into it, I realized I was like, 
maybe it's time to actually, for the first time in a, you know almost a decade, consider like not relying on magazines and print media at all. Um, but I really didn't know what to do, and 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 eventually working with Doubleday was something that I had in no way planned on doing. I just wanted to like take Kimo out for lunch and and uh, pick his brain a little bit on on what it was like in his transition from being a, a, a freelance designer. Um, amazing creative person into starting this, you know, small, awesome, uh, agency called Doubleday and Cartwright. Um, and after a couple lunches, they, they made an offer for me to come on board. Um, and so it was, I mean, it was a natural fit, obviously, like, you know, being able to make a transition into more of a creative agency, but still working with friends was a huge bonus. So how many people were there at the time and how many are there right now? At the time, I, th- I want to say it was about seven. Okay. I think I was the seventh person. Um, there's three partners. Um, and then there were like a couple designers and then we had an office manager. Um, and then in the last two years, we've really ostensibly tripled that staff and doubled our space. We're up to, depending on, you know, how, how many freelancers we have around at any given moment, we're probably between like 20 and 25 people around the office. Um, and I would say we've grown probably our, 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 our production and account management team has grown in tandem with the creative team. So what I love about working at Doubleday is that you know, we're like, it's not just a place where, where you go for like a specific creative solution and then that's it. It's like, it's really nice having all these different specialties mm-hmm. around the office. Like, you know, we have people who specialize in specifically, you know, more like, like, like fashion photo shoot production. We have people who specialize in video. We have people who specialize in animation. It's like, there's all these different levels of specialty that exist both in creative and in production and account management. So it's, yeah, it's, it, it made, it made that transition out of magazines. Um, very easy and also super interesting because I learned so much, you know, really, I, re- I really learned so much every day I work at that place. It's amazing. How's the environment different? Uh, I mean, obviously the work's different. You're doing different type of work at an, in mm-hmm. an agency setting, but is the environment pretty dramatically different than working in a magazine? Is I mean, is the pace different? Because with a magazine, I mean, it's such a, a you know, repetitive timeline month yeah. to month, you know, so scheduled and stuff. And I know you guys have also done some projects like Daily Note and some other things where <laughs> you've really put out things that had to be on a uh, on a publication like schedule. Um, but does it feel more relaxed in that environment? I mean, for anybody who's kind of worked in both or only someone who's only worked in one, I mean, how would you sort of like frame up the difference of, you know, working in a, in an editorial situation compared to a agency setup? Well, it's interesting. It's interesting because even though we do some editorial work, the pace of the agency has absolutely nothing to do with, um, the sort of like, like scheduling and the way that like, uh, in the, in the, in the way that, um, a, a magazine is actually structured. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a few other magazine expats in the studio. Uh, Chris Eisenberg, one of the partners, he's, um, he's an ex editorial guy. He used to write for details GQ. Um, he operates as editor in chief of victory journal, which is a magazine that we do. Um, so we, uh, we also have our own internal magazine that we do, but you know, the, it's, 
it, that is a labor of love. So really we, we operate under the same sort of like run and gun circumstances that any agency really has to operate under these days. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I think, what I think we, the, there's like a kinship I feel from my past editorial experience because we bring a voice of editorial to the work that we do for, you know, honestly something that could just be approached as like a straight up ad campaign. Mm. Um, like the Red Bull Music Academy, the, the whole the whole focus of our work for the Red Bull Music Academy was to really make that a conversation with New York City, ingrain them in such a way where they feel like they're speaking from a, I mean, and they are, like it's, it's an amazing group of guys that are making that thing happen. And, um, and it really trying to like put that in a, in a, in a place where it feels like it's almost like a magazine exploded all over New York city on the billboards and the wild posting and in the subways. And it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to work with. Um, and it's, it, it's difficult because you don't have that. Like, like the one thing about a magazine is no matter how tough it is um, and no matter how much it might seem like you're amazingly behind schedule, it's just like, well, we have to go to print tomorrow at noon so there's really not a whole lot we can do about it. <laughs> it other will than get just done. Not sleep and get it done. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, but that, I mean, anyone who's worked in an agency can attest to the fact that it, that doesn't happen. Um, in agency, in an agency situation, it's never that simple. Um, but I feel like we have a unique point of view that, uh, that's been a lot of fun to work with. Mm -hmm. So, it, so, it, so it, it, it's reminded me also a little bit of, you know, when I would, go from magazine to magazine they each have their own voice and i feel like double day has a really interesting voice mm. so um, it does it's got uh when you go to the uh the website i mean there's a um an immediate feel to the work and whether that has to do with the fact that a lot of it sort of focuses on athletics and in sports um i don't know if the, I, I wouldn't say that that's the reason um why it has sort of a feel but there's a lot of work focused on that area um but there's just a strong uh feeling of of heritage it almost feels like it's a it's a agency and a place that's existed for much longer than it actually has if i don't know if that makes sense but yeah you know no, what i mean and I, I feel like it's hard to create that and it's not something that you can just create overnight um but some people, some designers, some companies kind of um, can very quickly take on the feel of a place that's been around the block, um, even if they've only existed for a year. And I think that's probably comes from having a, a collection of people who all uh, individually have been and then coming together and the, you know, the sum, you know, the sum of the, um, of the individual parts creates this thing that feels very authentic, very real, very natural. And that's kind of the immediate impression um, that I've gotten when I've looked through the portfolio of work on the Doubleday site. Like it's a place full of people who have been there before and have all come together because they were kind of done with what they've been doing and they're ready to put their heads together to create something, I guess, bigger and better than, than what they've been able to work on individually in the past. So I mean, that's kind of the impression of the work that I get. And I think it's really awesome. And uh, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about the sports stuff um, yeah. because that's really, it does seem like that. I mean, is that, is that intentional or is that because you guys have done like one really great sports sort of related project and then it transitioned to the next and the next thing you know, that's like the majority of what you do or is it come out of everybody's a lover of, of sports and, and sport culture and everything. And then that's sort of just been a natural I mean, I think it's both, you know, I mean, you have, you have a lot of, a lot of, uh, 
fans of sports in a lot of different realms in that office. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting thing. It's like you have, you have both, both Red Bull and Nike, who are probably two of our main clients right now. Um, and they both, they both operate in such a way where they have these like amazing, um, these amazing programs that sort of like ingrain themselves in the culture of sport above and beyond the sort of like, you know, just like the, the product itself for like, you know, just like telling the story behind like a shoe, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, like they really, really make like a serious, like heavy handed cultural investment into like what it, what it means to be a brand like that operating within that space. Um, And I think for us, it's like, it's, it's been this, you know, a really great self-fulfilling prophecy with the year. I guess that's actually totally not the correct term to use. It's been a really great process of working with these guys where we, we have been able to prove ourselves through multiple different kinds of projects because both of these companies are so large Mm -hmm. that they have a lot of different ways in which they like to communicate. And they, and, and I think that they both just happen to operate in a sort of like word of mouth, um, way around their offices where we've just gotten like passed around and been able to work with a lot of different people within these, just these two different companies. Um, obviously as is the case with any other agency, there's like a lot of other work that we just, um, are, you know, a little behind on putting up that would maybe help to make it look like we don't, uh, only do work in sport. Um, but I think at a certain point, it's, uh, the thing I love about working for Doubleday is that there's a comfortability with the voice that the studio has. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, as, as time goes on, there's like, you, you have the, as, as more and more employees come on, they become comfortable speaking within that voice. Mm -hmm. And now we're at a place where we have, you know, like quite a few people working in the office and it's nice to watch the work sort of like grow exponentially, but then operate under the same umbrella. Um, and really feel like it kind of comes from like, one specific diverse universe of, um, you know, like of double band car, right? Sure. So what's your, uh, main role? I mean, I'm not saying like, well, what's your job title there, yeah. but like, what is it that you find yourself doing? Like, are you still, cause you know, I always find when people have kind of been through the ringer with, you know, like yourself and different magazines over the years or whatever, that they get to the place where they're like, yeah, I don't really hardly design anymore. I, I come up with ideas and I work with these teams, but I'm not sitting down, like opening up, Photoshop or InDesign or what have you all day and every day. I'm not really in the trenches with it. I'm more on the top level of things looking kind of down into it. Which of sort of role uh, are you, are you at with that? Uh, Well, I mean, the, for me, the beauty of the studio is that no one is, uh, I mean, because when, when we're, you're operating at like 20 ish people, um, that's not really a size where you have enough people where anyone can really walk away and not actually make any work. Um, and I think that we're also all of the opinion that there's really no reason that you should have a studio where people don't actually do work, um, or, or, or sit down and have to make anything. And that's not to diss anyone who has to like, um, it's, it's, it's more that like for us with the kind of work that we need to do, it really requires a lot of different voices and a lot of different people coming together with these individual backgrounds and these individual specialties and really getting our hands dirty, digging in, um, 
to various degrees, depending on what the work is to be done. You know, like I might, I may not dig in on an apparel project, but I might bug one of the designers who's working on an apparel project to just ask him a question about something as it relates to the, you know, the type layout or something. Sure, yeah. Um, but for me personally, it's like, I, I am a creative director in the studio. Um, I oversee, you know, some of like the resource management, making sure the right people are on the right jobs and that things are flowing correctly. But I mean, I also, I, I do layouts and I yeah. make work happen. And like, I don't, I honestly, I don't ever want to get to a place where I'm not making graphic design happen. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That would drive um, me crazy. So, okay. Um, from the sports thing, get into some uh, non-work related stuff. Some of the more Fun stuff. And I want yeah. to just go, so you're a sports fan. We don't have to get into the the Packers-Bears thing. We'll just leave that aside. <laughs> we don't have enough time to really get into that. Yeah, I was and say, I also don't have a lot of room to talk right now. So <laughs> I'm not really in a position as a Bears fan right now to do a whole lot of uh, shit talking. So yeah. um, I'm have to wait and see how things play out. Um, but <laughs> um, so you're a sports fan yourself. Um, yep. Did you play anything growing up? Um, I... I I played uh, sports poorly, exclusively. Um, <laughs> I, I, I tried to play football. I was pretty tiny. Um, I couldn't really hang. And uh, I eventually dropped out. Um, but I loved playing football. And that, I mean, that for me was my, you know, my be all end all. Yeah. And so That's I know really now, if you follow, um, you know, if you follow Justin on, on Instagram, um, <laughs> it won't take more than a couple of days to realize that you, you're in the gym, like, constantly and i know that exercise and this is one of the main things i really i really wanted to make sure to touch on because i think that um this is an, a very under discussed topic um for those of us who spend big gigantic chunks of our day just like yeah. slave to a, a chair and in front of our computer i mean it gets talked about like oh make sure you get up and get exercise blah blah, blah. Yeah. but it doesn't really get like dug into more and i've really appreciated you sharing pictures of yourself at the gym and sharing your diet and sharing things about what you're eating and you're obviously very passionate about yeah. not you know um getting huge or it's not about that or whatever it's about yeah what the exercise has done for you and what it's done for your life. And I guess what I want to ask about and talk about a little bit. Um, so sports aside and just strictly looking at exercise, the importance of it um, personally, um, as it relates to your work, as it relates to having a clear mind. Um, I mean, what is it that like, like, why do you go and push yourself so hard with working out and like, what does that do for you? Um, besides some of the more obvious, um, yeah. things like, what is it that makes you feel like passionate about that? And then again, tying it back into being a designer and stuff, like where does yeah. that fit into your sort of creative psyche? I mean, for me as a creative person, it's really, it, it, it's really, I guess, more like tying back to my personal life. Um, growing up, I was just always kind of like an unhealthy dude growing up eating, you know, like any child of the 80s or 90s did, you know, eating fat free, eating, eating as much of it as you could. You know, it was a lot of like processed foods, whatever, yada, yada. Eventually, it just like took its toll. And I don't know. I mean, I grew up always being like, all right, I guess I'm kind of like a bigger guy. That's just how I am. Um, and it never really occurred to me that I could be... Um, I could, you know, just be like of a healthier mind. And I never really understood the toll that not taking care of myself, um, you know, both from a diet perspective or 
from, you know, general like health and fitness perspective, I, I never really understood that the, the stresses that that put on my body. And at a certain point, um, I ended up actually getting a recommendation through Jeff Stable, who I, who I was doing with some uh, freelance work with at the time to go see the trainer that I'm still seeing now. So I'm going on about like three years of training with Steven um, at his new gym, S10, which the gym actually just opened a little over a year ago now um, or around a year ago. And really in working with him, he really got me to realign my diet, realign the way that like I think about training, how I think about just like general health and the things that I'm putting into my body, how to like supplement properly. Like, um, and I, I think that like what that did is it really rounded out this whole side of my life that I was like, Oh, like I'm a creative person. I don't have to worry about this stuff. Like, Oh, like I like, I do graphic design. It really doesn't matter what kind of shape I'm in or like, it doesn't really matter what, you know, if I'm athletic, that's not what I'm going for. Um, it never occurred to me that that could just be something that's like, no, actually this it'll, it will make you happier. It will, it will, you know, solve some kind of like longstanding physical ailments. Like, not that I had anything bad, but it was like, I had this little dry spot that used to happen above my eye on my eyelid. I had like a really bad scalp condition. I, uh, I, whatever things that were with me since my childhood. And once I started eating properly, taking care of myself, um, all of that went away. And, 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 and it's like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, the paleo diet cured me and turn it into this dramatic, stupid thing. But I think really it's just more a matter of like cooking for myself, knowing what I'm putting into my body, actually caring about it, eating real food and being active. And, and it really like it, it, it changed me. And it's one of the you know, more important decisions I think I've ever made in my entire life. And I think the th I have to, you know, say too, from personal experience, when I've been in rhythms where I've been really good about what I'm uh, eating, and when I've gotten into a good rhythm of working out now, granted, I wouldn't claim to be great at any of that. I've consistently, uh, I've consistently inconsistently gone to the gym <laughs> over the years. Um, and I've always pretty well kept up with it, but never got into like a super solid routine. But every time I've gotten into the groove or I've been really good about it, um, there's just a difference that you kind of can't put your finger on, but you wake up feeling better. I mean, just, I mean, pretty much what people say, I know, on the most general level about exercising, eating well is true and it applies to everything and it affects how you work and it affects your creative output and it affects mm -hmm. the motivation and it affects your brain. And, you know, I, I just think that stuff is super important and I've really been excited to see somebody who is well-respected as a designer kind of talk about it more and, and be really vocal about it because I think it's something that needs a couple champions, um, is sort of in, you know, at least for the industry that I care about, which is the design industry mm -hmm. and creative, you know, creativity. I think there's a lot of people that would really benefit from that. And there's definitely a big, nice open gap for there to be some voices talking about why it's important, why it's good. And I think one of the things that you've done that um, I've really gravitated towards recently um, was you started a, a sort of food blog, um, kind of talking about some of your recipes and things that have that have really worked for you. Mm -hmm. You're very open that you're not trying to preach or tell anybody what to do. You're simply saying, hey, here's what works for me. You don't think that it 
matters fine cool do your thing like do you whatever but yeah. for me here's what worked here's what i've lost weight on here's what's gotten me in better shape here's what's helped and if you want to try it try it and so, like just within the last couple of weeks when i started looking a little bit more into your blog like i started doing a couple of the recipes and like wow i really love this like instead of a bowl of ice cream at night i'm having a bowl of frozen blueberries with awesome. cinnamon and almond milk on it <laughs> <laughs> like That's awesome. and i love it i just had some like uh, an hour and a half ago before we started this and <laughs> you so, know i did i did too i did too <laughs> and you know again i just think it's really cool because i think we all as designers nowadays with a Twitter, we all have a voice. Like that's yeah. as a cliche thing as you could say. And we all use it for different things. And we're all promoting our work and whatever little side projects and whatnot. But I really do think that there's a huge um, need for some people kind of in our community to talk about the importance of like keeping yourself physically healthy and, and all that. So yeah, it's been really refreshing to see that really encouraging because I think anybody who sees it is like, all right, I have no excuse. He does the same exact thing I do. He sits on a computer all day, but he makes time for it. So what's the biggest challenge for you with that? Is it making time? Is that not even an issue at this point after being consistent for three years? I mean, what's, what's the oh. most difficult thing about like a good diet and exercise for you like what gets I mean, in the way you know the, the the hard the hard part about it for me well i mean first of all i have to i have to say this there's a couple caveats in there one is that i i, I haven't been 100 percent consistent for the last three years i will say i'm going on like a particular strong streak now for probably like the last year year and a half um particularly in the last half a year i am getting married to a lovely lady by the name of julia zangrilli um AKA the founder of a perfume company that also happens to be currently my only freelance graphic design client, um, <laughs> by the name of Nova. But, uh, yeah, we're getting married in about six weeks. So there was a huge kick in the ass to know that I'm going to be staring at these photographs forever. <laughs> and then also taking my shirt off on the Greek islands. Dude. And that it would be cool to not be like pasty white, hairy Midwest guy. When best, shape of, best shape of my life was on my honeymoon i ex <laughs> i mean and and then, and then i put a lot of weight back on and then literally in the immediate year after it couldn't have been more textbook but it's a it's amazing how motivating that is like yeah, no, you're like totally. i'm getting married i know ahead of time and yeah. i'm gonna get myself into shape and yeah. i got no excuses and yeah i mean you know awesome. really like the i mean the, aside from that though like i think the hardest part that uh, that i I tell people when they want to get into it is that you know there's no shortcuts like you don't like, like you don't start paleo and then just lose a ton of weight and then you're all good. Go back to eating pizza like that. Like that's not like that's not like the, the way that you should be looking at it. Like there's no like Dr. Oz secret pill supplement that's going to like make you cut and then you're all good. It's like for me, it, it took a lot of discipline and understanding that like there were there were specific moves that I wanted to make in my life. And I, I, I want I decided I wanted to cook and I wanted to understand what I was putting into my body rather than trusting anyone, you know, behind some like steel curtain to just like make my food for me. Like I wanted to understand what was actually being done to make it taste the way it tastes or to make it, you know, the highest quality I could. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, you, you have to like, for me, it, it was the understanding of like, I had to make these decisions. I had to be consistent about them and that the results that, you know, I want are maybe a year away. Like the, the, the things that I had you know, I mean, without sounding dramatic, but like the things I had done to my body and the shape I had put myself in by the time I was about 29, 28, 29 years old, that was, 
that was a couple decades of yeah, yeah, bad yeah. habits put into that, you know, and that doesn't yeah. unravel in no. in three months of, of of green tea and sushi or whatever, you know. <laughs> That's the it, saddest thing to me about, you know, the ideas that people get in their heads is that they can undo what they've done over the course of, like you just said, quite literally decades in three months like okay what three month program it's like yeah you can lose some weight but like we're talking like a fundamental change if you want to do it the right way not simply like you know going vegetarian and and doing cardio every single day of the week like that's great but i mean that's not changing your life exactly (laughs) yeah no that that, i mean that that's that's really the main thing and you know like that the the main the main takeaway for me is just that you know i like like I'm not, I'm not looking for a short term solution to something that I view as a temporary problem. It's, it, it's more like I want to feel, I want to feel awesome forever. And I want to <laughs> feel like I'm doing it, you know, yeah. because I want to. And, and if I didn't want to do it, I wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Like, I'd, I'd quit that about as fast as I'd quit most of my jobs. Would you say that you feel a direct correlation to exercise and eating better, um, you know, as early? I don't want to assume anything because I know it no. can be sort of like a, I don't know what word I'm looking for, trite to say like, you know, oh, I exercise and I, I'm a better designer for it. I mean, some people might no, be like, no, I could 100%. probably do it just as well, but whatever, you know. No, 100% true. It's like it, it, it really, like, I... You know, it, it, if I don't, if I don't stick to my program, um, yeah, I mean, which I, that's kind of like a dumb way to say it. But if I, if I fall off the wagon that I built for myself, um, that feels like a cooler way to say that I, I really do. I'm like, I, I function like garbage. Like I feel sluggish. I can't think straight. Um, I bet, you know, my brain won't start up for a good couple hours after I wake up, um, but I mean, it's been an amazing feeling where, I mean, I, 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 you know, I heard when you and, uh, you and Justin were talking about, you know, like your most productive times of day. And I think for me, one of the greatest things is realizing like, wow, like I love getting up super early and crushing work as much as I can before 12 PM. Hmm. Like I love, I love the, and, and I was, ne- I, I never functioned like that. Um, so what time do you get up? I mean, I think that the most commonly asked questions as a designer when you do like an interview is what's your day to day? And I, yeah. I kind of hate that question. So to be more specific, what's I mean, and to touch on what uh, Justin and I talked about, what, like, so you're productive or you have yeah. made yourself be productive early in the morning. So yeah, what does so- that mean? What time you're talking like? six o'clock, you know, I mean, how early? Yeah, I mean, let's, let's, I mean, if I, if I have a training day, I get up around six in the morning. Um, and then I, well, the thing about double day and Cartwright, which is ridiculous is that it's across the street from my apartment. Um, <laughs> that's so, pretty amazing, especially in New York. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's totally ridiculous. So I commute into Chinatown to train in the morning, um, and come back, which is actually really good because otherwise I, I would go far too long without leaving my block. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like, let's say if it's a training day, yeah, I get up around like six in the morning. Um, I train for an hour, get back home about like nine thirty or so. And then I roll into the office. So my day is like relatively mellow in terms of like work start time. But I noticed that because I've been training so much, it's made me more productive on my non-training days where like I just go into the office earlier and I get as much work done as I possibly can before you know, people start rolling in and then I inevitably have a bunch of meetings and a bunch of things that start piling up. Um, it's, it's, it's just fully realigned my schedule. I sleep better. So it's like, I prefer to get home at a reasonable hour so that I can get a solid eight hours of sleep. Um, 
I mean, I sound like a 90 year old man at this point, but it's <laughs> okay. like, you know, but this is you better know, for I think, it. Yeah. There, there's, there are certain things that I think, especially being a New Yorker, you take for granted that like you need, you should be socializing in certain ways. You should be, um, you know, you should be like working in certain ways because I think a, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, without passing judgment, and I don't mean this to sound that way, but I think a lot of people work ineffectively and it's because they don't pay attention to their like personal health and their personal well-being. And I think that like the more you can pay attention to that and the more importance you place upon that, the better employee it makes you. Mm, and and sure. working, you know, working is different for every person. Um, but I know that like for me personally, making those making those moves made me a, a, a better person sure. to, you know, be an employee. So uh, on a selfish uh, way. I'm curious to know you so when you say you get up at six and then you're out training, do you get up at six, have like a small breakfast and immediately get to training like within like the first hour of being awake? Or is there like a, is there a, and I say selfish because I'm always curious what other people's routines are. And I'm particularly drawn to people who have a similar lifestyle or yeah. a similar work, uh, set up as I do. So I feel like I am more personally intrigued by someone like you, who's been good about doing this so like do you i mean f mentally are do you wake up and feel like okay breakfast small breakfast whatever it may be and then go yeah. train and do your stuff that early or is there like a fade in <laughs> to it period yeah i mean i try to i mean i guess to to quote my lady i try to have my my folders moment uh -huh. as much as humanly possible um if i can um you know, I think that there's something to be said about just like not hopping straight out of bed and running, you know, to the computer yeah. um, immediately to just start like stressing out and checking emails. Um, I need some like personal space before I do that. Um, but I mean, I, tr yeah, I mean, I like, I, I, I have, you know, kind of like, I generally have like a list of things that have absolutely nothing to do with graphic design that I like to spend my, the first couple hours of my day on. Mm -hmm. um, and then I feel like that gives me a place to be like a little more clear minded mm -hmm. um, and then just more effective when I actually sit down to do creative work. Yeah, that's that's great. And then uh, so the rest of the day, too, it's like you've already got the workout behind you. You've done mm -hmm. it. You don't have to think about like going and working out like at, yeah. at night or whatever. Maybe you go for a run or maybe do it intermittently yeah. here and there. But like yeah. generally it's, it is nice to get that out of the way in the morning. So it's not like leering over you all day or maybe you get busy and suddenly you can't go work out and then you feel all day like you really missed out on your chance. So yeah. I mean, you know, exactly. it's, it's different for everybody. I mean, I've tried to do the morning thing. I've tried to do night. I've tried to do like lunchtime, like yeah. all over the place. And again, if you have the flexibility like I do, or it sounds like you do with where you work, I mean, you really just got to figure out what's best for you. Otherwise you exactly. obviously have a schedule to work around because it's a, you know, because of a job, but it sounds like it's just something that you got to figure out what works for you and just try and like stick to it as much as possible. I mean, it's yeah, pretty exactly. rudimentary. Exactly. Uh, exactly. All right. So some of the fun questions, music, when you're working out, what are your, what's give me like three songs and or three albums, or it could be more than three or whatever, but like, what's, what's like, you know, Lately, what what are you listening to to get you through an early morning workout? All right, so we're, I feel like workout music is a very polarizing thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because because oh, maybe that's really, a bad question because maybe you listen to Madonna or something, and then no, later no, on no. you listen to metal. I don't. Know. Yeah, I wish. Yeah, I mean, it's that's yeah. It, it's it's more. Uh, it shows kind of like the disparity in what I really listen to these days in general, which is like 
Um, like right now, my, my, I feel like my workout jams are always like super consistent. So like, I, I like, I usually listen to the same thing, uh-huh. like the same mix or the same album. So like right now I'm on a kick where it's either there's, um, there's a, um, a Bach Bach resident advisor mix that came out a while ago. That's one of my go-tos. It's more like electronic stuff. Um, or I'm still stuck on working out to the entire nails discography. Um, which lasts for all of about 40 minutes in the gym, say, even though you know, very it's like long. 90 songs or yeah. whatever. Um, or uh, Nile. Nile is, oh, probably, really? Nile is probably my number one go-to hype jams for the gym, as weird as that sounds. Just gets you like f- feeling it? I mean like – It's just it, – yeah, I mean uh, for anyone who's familiar with Nile, specifically the song Masturbating the War God – that's a that's that's a particular gym jam right there nice um so okay what so uh let's see trying to stick on the music thing non-workout music headphones in working what are you listening to at the computer um tim hecker so you like the kind of like chill quiet no vocals to work to sort of like atmosphere yeah generally generally speaking that's that's what i that's what i end up gravitating towards if the headphones are in so not much motorhead going on while you're in indesign (laughs) yeah not much motorhead (laughs) in the office i will say these days though um i get the headphone zone every now and again but with uh with my position at double day these days i i can't really get away with having headphones on much actually yeah i I hate having headphones in while i'm working even and i work and i work solo so i'm not sitting here with a big team but yeah. Having headphones in feels like it compartmentalizes me to like the smallest possible in my own head. And I find this disconnect with the outside totally. world, even when I'm by myself, that it really drives me crazy. So it's conducive yeah, for the gym. That. But um, so, uh, all right. Favorites uh, albums of all time. Top couple albums of all time, just in general, non uh, environment specific. Um, Motorhead, No Remorse, uh, Black Sabbath, Volume 4. Easy enough. Um, how about this year, like this past year, like including 2013 and the last couple months of, of 14 favorite uh, uh, music? Actually, if I can, if I can pick one that's like just recently came out, um, there is, uh, an album, uh, by this band called Impetuous Ritual that just came out, um, which is actually guys who play in that Australian death metal band portal. Um, that is one of my favorite things to come out recently. Um, and then I guess I'm going to try what I did with uh, Justin. I don't know if you heard in that interview, I had him open up iTunes sort by (laughs) most played and then just have to read off the top five most played songs of all time, which I feel like, you know what I wish I could do? I wish I could do that in Spotify. Dude, me too. I know I couldn't do it now because it'd be like, you've listened to Everclear, you know, (laughs) 4,000 times. Like, Oh, I haven't opened iTunes in like nine years. That's why I listen to everything in Spotify. now. (laughs) I know me too. That's where I go to for everything. Um, but I mean, uh, to be real, like one of my one of my favorite things to come out. I mean, I guess this isn't even recently, but like um, John uh, John Hopkins' most recent album has probably gotten the one of the most uh, amount of spins for me personally in the last uh, in the last three hundred and sixty five days. John Hopkins' Immunity. Okay, right on. Um, 
All right, so uh, just a couple of quickies. Favorite, uh, what's like, what's the best design magazine out there right now, in your opinion? Best design magazine out there. To be quite honest, Chuck, I'd have to ask you that question or someone else. <laughs> you can't I, be I, objective, can you? <laughs> I can't. I can't. I mean, well, no, no. Well, one thing to be to be real, one thing that's hard about working in a place that's so like sport and media focused as I am right now, I don't really read up on design as much as I wish I did. Sure. Yeah, it makes sense. I don't even know. I, I I haven't gone and and like sat in a bookstore with a pile of magazines in a really long time. So I don't even know what uh, the best yeah. answer to that is either. But I mean, if we open it up to like the nicest like designed magazine in general, or my favorite magazine currently, it would be uh, actually uh, the Gentlewoman. I think is my favorite. <laughs> I was literally about to say. It feels like everything is sort of revolves around the look of. Um, the gentlewoman or like fantastic, um, yeah. man or like ports really nice. Like yeah, the super yeah, yeah. sparse sort of like really yeah. elegant covers is sort of what's, I mean, you see so many more, like even a design magazine looking more like a fashion magazine seems to totally. be where, kind of where it's at right now. Totally. Um, totally. all right. And then, uh, my last one sort of random one was like favorite album covers. What's like, what sticks out as like your favorites, like from when you were a kid up until now, like just any sort of favorite uh, album covers ever? I am going to go with um, His Hero Is Gone, The Plot Sickens. It's always a good uh, good radio, good <laughs> podcast stuff. Like, okay. <laughs> I can't show anybody that. You can go Google that, I suppose, you know. I have to retool that question because if it's something that no, it's like uh, if somebody, nobody either knows what it is or even if they do, like, all right, cool. Good answer. <laughs> cool. Good looking out. All right, <laughs> right, right. Right, um, <laughs> right on. Um, well, cool, man. Any... Uh, any good uh, plans for the summer besides getting married, or is that kind of uh, the main thing on the horizon right now? I would imagine that that's the main thing. Yeah, man, that's really that's really all I got. And that's then some I, Greek islands. Yeah, exactly. That's all I got. It's a wedding, honeymoon, um, and then that's about, that's about that. That's all I got, man. Sounds good. <laughs> all right, man. Well, uh, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. I always want to give a chance to sort of promote or, you know, whatever at the end here, uh, if you want to yep. just... Twitter name, Instagram, uh, then, oh, by the way, I mentioned your blog earlier for anybody who's interested about the food stuff. It's no grains, yeah. no masters.com, which is a really fantastic name. I, my, my <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, which actually the name is where that started. Um, I was, I can't remember what I was tooling around on the internet, uh, for, but I saw, I saw that old, like anarchist, like no gods, no masters thing. And I was like, wait a minute. No grains, no masters. There we go. Starting the block. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I had to shout out any project that I got going on right now, I suppose it would be that. Um, it's also kind of a way to make sure that if you happen to follow me on Instagram um, and you don't want to see pictures of food anymore, maybe I can uh, ghetto them into this other area and then you'll just have to go there to check them out. But then you still might catch a photo of my dog every now and again. So <laughs> sorry about that. Um, and then the double day car ride site. Um, yeah. I'll, yeah, this stuff will all get linked up on the site too. Awesome. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, and then, uh, your Twitter was just, just at Justin Thomas K, right? Yep. Same with Justin Instagram. Thomas K. That's it. Cool. 
All right, man. Well, hey, thanks again. Really appreciate uh, talking to you and, and uh, really inspiring to hear about the path you've taken to, to get where you're at. And uh, hopefully maybe a couple of people hear this and go get themselves in uh, decent shape and, and shop for some good food. And uh, yeah. if nothing else, that's a good I, I've already done that thanks to sort of following <laughs> and watching you. So if you've had an effect on at least one person, I guess that's uh, that's uh, saying something. So, well, thanks um, a lot, Chuck. Yeah. Appreciate that, man. Um, and yeah, I mean, anyone anyone who does happen to uh, to follow up and check any of that stuff out, uh, really feel free to just like shoot me an email. Uh, I have no qualms with talking about that stuff. That's probably my number one interest right now. So, cool. That's awesome. All right, man. Well, thanks again. Right. I'll talk Thank to you, you soon. All right, talk take soon. it easy. Bye. Bye.